since Harbin is so far north, there's a lot of like Russian influence there. So mm. some of like the the buildings and some of the things that they have there do look more Russian versus like the rest of China. So it's definitely like a unique little, I was gonna say little town, but it's a very big city. Right. Big city. They were really known for this certain type of bread that they had that was that I think had like raisins and things in it, but it was just really sweet and really delicious. And also they had a certain type of um, popsicle there that was like the line for it was always all the way down with locals and foreigners. So I knew it had to be good. It was creamy and tasted like milk, but like in a really like nice and sweet way. Mm. And thinking about it, it's like already making me like my mouth water a little bit because <laughs> I haven't had it in like, well, since I was there and now I'm really like craving it and missing it, but there's no way I could find it here. Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Nana as the guest. We have celebrated the one-year mark of this podcast, and now we are back to business as usual, so to speak. And um, uh, So Nana, I actually met at a concert some years back. Um, as I mentioned in the anniversary episode, I have a friend named Sho, and Sho and I met up at a Leanne La Havis concert in, well, a few years ago, let's just say that. And uh, uh, because Nana is a friend of Sho, uh, they were both there, so that's where I met her, and uh, we kept in touch since then, but it wasn't until recently that I got to ask her about her time studying in China. Uh, Nana spent a summer in undergrad studying Chinese language, uh, specifically Mandarin, and Chinese culture in China. And the bulk of that time she spent in a northeastern city called Harbin. Um, but then she also got to explore Beijing and Shanghai as well. So uh, we got to talk about all that. It was a really nice conversation. And she um, had a fantastic time, has pretty much nothing but fond memories of that of that experience and um, I just want to say that um, I think I mentioned a while back that my old mic died and I had to get a new one uh, <laughs> so this was the interview after which I realized my <laughs> my mic was um, done so I tested it beforehand and it seemed like it would be okay and then after I listened through the interview I realized it had been completely useless <laughs> so um, Basically, if you're wondering why I sound kind of far away, that's why. Uh, but Nana sounds wonderful. Nana is wonderful as a person. And I really hope you enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Nana Maduko. How are you doing today so far? I mean, it's Saturdays. You've probably just been chilling, right? Yep. I just like yeah. rolled out of bed and I'm like, oh, let me like look over some notes so I can be ready. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is just a, it's a real laid back conversation. So you don't have to worry about knowing like exactly what to say or whatever, you know, we're just talking about your experiences. That's all. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, first, I want to say thank you for agreeing to be a guest on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, 
I know you were, said something about how you might not, you weren't sure if you'd be interesting enough or whatever, <laughs> but I already find you plenty interesting, oh. not knowing the specifics about China or whatever, but just, you know, having met you as a person. So uh, no worries there. I'm sure it'll be, okay. I, I'm sure it'll be plenty interesting. So you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Let's make sure I talk up a lot of stuff. I'll make up some things. So it sounds really cool. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Okay. So um, why don't we start with you introducing yourself, if you don't mind? Okay. Well, my name is Nena Maduko. Um, I graduated from Michigan State University in, I believe that was the summer of 2016. And I studied abroad in China. Specifically, I was out in uh, Harbin, which is the northern part of China. And I was there in the summer of 2015 um, for a language and culture study abroad. Okay, nice. And um, were you like a Chinese minor or something? Yes. Okay. I, I did manage to get a minor with them. Um, I had one full year of language study, so the two semesters, and then the study abroad then rounded it out. So I was able to get a minor, which was fantastic. Okay, cool, cool. And what, why Chinese out of all the languages you could have chosen? What about uh, Chinese appeal to you? It just seemed very interesting at the time, to be honest. Um, I wanted to do something a little bit different, but then also based on the fact that I, I'm a business major, it made more sense to learn Chinese just like in the grand scheme of business and the world and everything overall. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of Chinese friends, so I thought it might be an interesting language to learn. Um, it definitely was a lot more than I was expecting, um, learning not only just the language in general, but learning how to write it with the different characters and to speak it with the tones. There was a lot that went into it, but it was definitely a fun challenge. I, I yeah. enjoyed kind of taking it to that next step. It wasn't um, as straightforward, which for me was kind of interesting and more exciting. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that like Chinese is like one of the hardest languages to learn, at least for like native English speakers, I guess. Yeah, um, I didn't think it was, too bad. It was just a lot of repetition. So a lot okay. of sticky notes, a lot of note cards, repeating things multiple times. But once you kind of got into the flow of how things worked, um, it's a lot more straightforward than people think. Okay, sounds fair. And you went to China. <clears throat> Studying abroad in China, was that also something you thought would benefit you in terms of your like your studies as a business, your like your background as a business major, or was that just something that you wanted to do that you went for? I think mostly I just really wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. um, I never thought I would have like the opportunity to study abroad, but since Michigan State University has like a really solid study abroad program and they have a lot of resources and things there, um, when I realized, okay, for this Chinese minor, I could either take a whole nother year of language study here, or I could do a study abroad and still be able to get the credits and things that I need. I'm like, oh, I'm definitely going to study abroad, definitely going to get that experience. And, you know, when, when's the next time I might have the opportunity to go to China? Mm -hmm. So I for sure was all on board when I was given the opportunity. Nice. And was Harbin, was that like the only place you could have gone or did you choose that program in that location for a specific reason? I think there was a couple different locations at the time, um, but the Chinese that I was studying, I studied Mandarin um, mm. and the, the dialect was a lot more, <clears throat> the dialect was a lot more the Northern that I was learning. So I did want to go somewhere that was more so known for having, you know, quote unquote, standard like Mandarin 
pretty commonly spoken there. First in Beijing, they have a little bit of a stronger accent. And then when you're down like in Shanghai and the South, um, they speak a little bit differently as well. So Harbin was a place that at least from what I'd run online and what I've heard like from my friends and things was like good for like very standard Mandarin uh, Chinese. And I also had a friend that was from that area. So it helped make me feel a little bit better that, okay, well, if I'm in China, at least there's like one person I can reach out to. Yeah. <laughs> at least in the entire country, there's at least one person that I know that will be in, you know, relatively cl close proximity um, that if I needed something, I knew I could reach out to, which definitely made me feel a little bit more comfortable about doing a study abroad. Yeah, I bet. It's good that you already had someone you knew over there, for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And was this your first time traveling out of the country when you went to China? I had traveled out of the country, like with my family when I was a bit younger, um, like in 2001, I believe it was, um, I went to Nigeria with my family um, because my dad is Nigerian. So I was able to go there, but mm -hmm. it was so long ago and I was so young that I didn't really remember as much of it. Versus this was definitely the first time that without family, I was gonna be traveling out of the country. So there's clearly a lot of concerns um, from mm -hmm. my parents' side. Um, my dad is someone that very much anywhere I go, like in the U.S., like, oh, well, I have a friend there that you can reach out to, or I know somebody who's there, so if you need anything. Um, but you didn't have any contacts in China, so he's definitely very concerned. Um, <laughs> it's like, are you going to be okay? Do you need anything? You don't know the language. I can't, you know, I can't just get in a flight and go to you mm -hmm. um, if anything happens. But um, it took a little bit more convincing and like, no, and be fine. I'm going to be with group it's going to be structured i know somebody there um so you eventually came around a bit but still um mostly just concerned for my safety which you know is understandable um i was the first of like any of because i have two other siblings and i was the first one to do anything like this um so unfortunately i was kind of the guinea pig with all of that piece of it so <laughs> kind of had to learn to become more comfortable with it even though he didn't really want to <laughs> oh yeah you're the youngest yeah yes. Do you feel like you being the youngest also had something to do with it beyond you being like the first one to to venture out in this way? I would definitely say so. Um, I'm <laughs> just, I, I think being the youngest, um, I was definitely a bit more like protected growing up. Mm -hmm. um, so going from that and then just, I don't want to say I decided to go in the study abroad on a whim, but it kind of was. Um, it wasn't until maybe like four or five months before the program started that I really made the concrete decision like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do the study abroad. I'm gonna go to China. Now I gotta get all the logistics and everything going. And it was definitely a lot, but once I think I fully committed to it it made things a little bit easier, at least from my perspective, maybe not as much from my parents still, but mm -hmm. at least from me, uh, it made things a little bit easier. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, once you commit to it, it's like, at that point, you have to like, you know, go through with it and just like make the best of it once you've actually decided. So definitely, um, I'm sure that made a difference as well. Mm -hmm. um, had you studied any other languages prior to, you know, learning Chinese? Uh, briefly in high school, I took French. And so I did that. I think I did that all four years. But of course, I don't remember any French now. Um, <laughs> It was actually kind of interesting that the more, like I did the three to four years of French when I was in high school, and then it only took me like one semester of studying Chinese to completely like overpower any French that I had learned. Mm. So I would try to think of saying something in French and Chinese would come out. 
Um, I didn't expect that to quite happen. Maybe it was because I wasn't practicing the French at all anymore and the Chinese was so, you know, clear in my mind. But it, it definitely like overpowered any other language in my mind because I was focusing so much on it. Yeah. Yeah. And good on you for taking that dedication, especially since it's not like, um, it was not like you were like a language major per se, you know, right. to put that much dedication into learning a language when you weren't necessarily required to, that's really admirable. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so you're preparing to go to China. Was there anything um, in particular, anything special you did to prepare uh, for this particular experience? just really brushing up on my Chinese uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and just becoming more comfortable, like being uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm. um, because the area, that was another reason actually why I, I chose to go to Harbin instead of going to like Beijing or Shanghai is because since it wasn't like, it was still like a very large city. I think the cities in China compared to the cities in the U S like when they, what they consider a small city is still like, you know, New York size. Mm. So it was a small city for China, but still like a very large city for me. Um, but since it was one that not as many foreigners went to versus the more major cities, I knew I'd actually be able to practice my Chinese a lot more because there wouldn't be as much of the tendency for, um, people to be like trying to speak English or seeing that mm. I'm being more used to foreigners and maybe knowing a bit more English. It was a lot more, okay, we're here. you got to know Chinese to be able to get around. Mm -hmm. um, so that was definitely something I was practicing a lot more, just, just kind of forcing myself to use it a bit more and not being as like uncomfortable speaking it in public. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course, thank, thank goodness I went through a study abroad program that really helped with the whole visa process. Because mm -hmm. goodness, I, I really don't know exactly what went into it, but I knew I had to get all my documents in at this time, had to submit and file everything at this time. And it just took so long to get that whole process situated that I'm glad that I had some assistance for that. Because otherwise I know I definitely wouldn't be able to take care of that on my own. Wow. You, even just for like a summer, you had to get us, you had to go through all that process of getting a student visa and everything. Yeah, it was a whole thing. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Well, good that you did have all that help. Yeah. Was this an was this an MSU program that you went through? Yeah. Okay. So there you were with other MSU students yes. at the time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Did you know any? I mean, besides your friend, did you know anyone who was there studying with you? Um. Well, my friend wasn't part of the study abroad program. Um, they yeah. were actually over there. Um, they went to MSU for a few years and then actually were from that area. So they were over back for the summer. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I learned like a, a couple, I got a bit more familiar with some of the people through the class, but really um, we had like, I remember there was one meeting that we had, which was like the first meeting for everyone who was going in the study abroad. And we all just kind of piled into this tiny room and Wells Hall. And we were kind of look, look, looking around like, okay, this is our group. This is our, I think we maybe had 12 or so of us um, and we're like, okay, this is who we're going to be hanging out with for the next uh, eight weeks in a foreign country and let's get to know each other. <laughs> um, and even just like figuring out like who was going to like room with each other. I just happened to be sitting next to somebody and we're like, you want a room? We're like, okay. And that's kind of how that worked. So it was somebody that I got to know my roommate while I was in China. Like I really didn't have much of like interaction with her because she was like in a higher language um, course than I was. So 
it, it really was throwing caution to the wind, just something that I'm, I'm a lot more structured typically. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was definitely something to adjust to, but I'm so glad that I went through that whole experience for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I guess that's like a time, not just when you're studying abroad, but just traveling in general, where you kind of get to not be someone else, but like be yourself in a different way, mm-hmm. learn how to do things differently. So I'm glad you got the chance to like, you know, just kind of go with the flow, I guess, yeah. <laughs> as things came. <laughs> okay, so you were there studying language and culture. So were you in class like every single day, every single weekday rather? Um, most of it. So it was a eight week long program that I was there for. Um, so we had one week in the beginning where we went to Beijing, did a lot of like sightseeing, we saw the Great Wall, the Forbidden City. Um, definitely a good way to get introduced into the country just because it was you know all the the typical things you would expect to see when you're in China right and it definitely gave me the culture shock um, that I needed before I got into the full-on program Mm -hmm. Um, I remember the very first day we like spent the night in there I was still trying to like get to know my roommate because I was going to be spending you know the next eight weeks with her and so we decided to go down to a restaurant that was nearby um and that's when it really sunk in that we walked in and I, I believe they were asking like, okay, like how many people? And we just both kind of like blanked and looked at each other. And we just like, we didn't kind of like fully, like I knew what she was saying, but I just could not formulate how to respond. Mm-hmm. And we, I'm sure they were probably just so irritated with us being there. Um, we managed to like sit down and get some food. Um, I didn't know what I ordered, but it was really good. Um, but just that like initial shock, I'm like, okay, we're, we're here, we're doing this. There's no turning back now. You can't get back on a flight and head home. Like it's a sink or swim type of situation. Right. Um, and that's pretty much how I felt for the first week. Um, but the traveling and everything was just so fantastic. And it was nice having that group and that structure for the first week. And then we had six weeks when we were studying in Harbin. So it was classes five days a week. Um, Each day would be about um, four hours of classes. So there'd be some days we go over certain cultural things where we do um, like calligraphy. We like made different like clay um, figurines and things. We were learning more about the culture piece. And then there was a lot of um, obviously like grammar and language and structure, um, homework assignments, all that fun stuff um, for the other aspects of the week. And it that was definitely an adjustment. We went right into it. Mm-hmm. Um, the very, I remember the very first day that I was there, um, I didn't even know that we had homework because I didn't fully understand the professor. Oh, <laughs> um, wow. She was speaking, um, she knew like very, very little English, um, but the entire class was taught in Chinese. So I was completely overwhelmed my, uh, probably for the first two weeks, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, with not exactly knowing what assignments were due, not knowing the structure because um, we came into our class partway through their semester. So there were other students who were already there who kind of already knew how everything was working. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we came in and they were kind of already in the flow of things. They already knew each other. They knew the structure of the class. And I was there not knowing if I had homework or not because I couldn't understand the teacher. So <laughs> that was um, a big adjustment period for the first couple of weeks. But um, after that, once I kind of understood, you know, okay, I need to wake up at 7 a.m. I got to go and get some breakfast. I got to get ready. Got to go to class. Got to, you know, be there for four hours, go and get some lunch, you know, head home, do some homework. 
um, the libraries on campus closed like at 10 o'clock. So I would have to immediately go after class and go get my homework done. Otherwise it just wasn't happening. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so used to here everything being open like 24 hours, but on campus they close things really early. So I had to make sure I took some time to go and actually, you know, set some time, some time to go do my homework. And the library was so quiet. That's one thing I remember is like, if I like moved my chair, I was always looking around, like, am I bothering anybody? <laughs> because everyone's just so in the zone mm -hmm. um, when we were studying there. Um, that's pretty much what that structure looked like. It was just very structured with the classes, five days a week, four hours a day. Um, we did a couple little like excursions while we were there, going out to eat, um, team bonding and things like that. Um, and then after that six weeks there was done, then we did a bit more traveling on the back end. We went to Shanghai and we're able to you know, see the skyline and do all that fun stuff. So mm -hmm. definitely a very well-rounded. I'm, I'm glad I did a longer study abroad program. Mm -hmm. um, I think if I'm going to go, you know, across the world, I might as well at least be there for like over a month, right? Right. <laughs> so I liked the, the length of it. I think it was a good amount of time to really be able to feel comfortable in where I was at when I was there. Mm. Yeah, that's important. That's important. And I'm sorry if you mentioned this already. Were you like, you all were at a local university in Harbin? That's where yes. you stayed and where you studied? Mm -hmm. So okay. we were staying at, um, the abbreviation was H HIT, um, was the Harbin Institute of Technology, I believe mm -hmm. is what it was called. And so we were there and luckily there was actually um, quite a few um, foreigners who were at the university. So there was like a foreigner's dorm and then there was like everybody else. Um, we were kind of like in a mixture. So the top half of it was um, people who were there for study abroad and the bottom half was more local students. Um, so I was on the very top floor and there was no elevator so, and it was um, six floors. Um, wow. So the very first day when I had all my luggage <laughs> was not the best. Um, but I definitely got to work out like, you know, climbing up and down those stairs for class every day. That was, that was great. I was going to say your legs must have gotten so strong during that. Summer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Six floors. Wow. Well, I mean, I guess you, like you were talking about reestablishing a new routine. I guess that's just another thing that you got used to during that time. Yep. That was just yeah. part of it. You never wanted to forget anything in your room because if you did, you have to go back up six flights of stairs. So I was always very prepared when I left to go to class. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> nice. Okay. And um, obviously you were there with other students who were learning Chinese, yeah. um, like other international students. And um, as you mentioned in your building, there were local students as well. But like, I guess I'm wondering how much you got to interact with local people versus sticking with um, other international students. Mm -hmm. I definitely think we stuck more with the international students, mm -hmm. which is something that I kind of wish we would have spent a bit more time with some of the local students there. But obviously the language barrier makes a really big difference. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously being from the United States, like we have a really big advantage, the fact that most people, if they know a little bit of any other language, they're probably knowing a little bit of English. Um, mm -hmm. So I could at least use a little bit of that when it came into a crutch. But um, some of the other um, international students that were there, we had a lot of people from South Korea that were there and Russia. 
that was probably South Korea, Russia, and the U.S. were the majority of the international students that were there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the one good piece about that, though, is that the only language we all had in common was Chinese. So right. when they wanted to speak with each other, it was either very limited English or the majority was actually in Chinese. Mm. Um, so that was a good way for us to kind of bond with like the other people in our class. We were like, okay, well, we all know at least basic Chinese, so we can kind of get to know each other speaking that. Um, which definitely forced me to speak a little bit more um, when I wanted to talk with the people in my class. I'm like, well, I can't speak English to you. So if I want to say hello or how's your day going or can I borrow a pencil, I'm going to have to say it in Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, so that gave me a little bit more opportunity to help speak a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously you were in language classes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, were you taking culture classes as well? Yes. Okay. So the language classes were the main structure of it but then there would also be um kind of like optional culture classes that would be like once a week of different topics um so like one class was a calligraphy class so we would go and like um you know learn how to do like the proper calligraphy and i was really bad at it but it looked really cool in the end (laughs) (laughs) um and there would be i think there was another one where we talked about like food and the different food of like the region so we got to eat some good food um, there was another one where we got to try on some of like the traditional outfits and they would explain like the meaning between the different types of it and the different titles people would have with certain like garments and things. Um, so I tried to go to as many of the culture classes as, as were available so I could really mm-hmm. learn a little bit more, not just, you know, the language of it, but learning the culture is so important if you really want to fully understand different aspects of another culture, another country and the language itself. You think learning the culture helps with that as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of culture, um, you obviously spent most of your time in Harbin, mm-hmm. but you also mentioned going to Shanghai and Beijing. I guess in terms of like what those cities are like, like I guess the character of Harbin compared to like mm-hmm. Shanghai and Beijing, like what is Harbin like as a city? Mm. That's a really good question. It was they were all very different cities. That's Mm -hmm. definitely something that I could say. There was a different like atmosphere to them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Since Harbin is so far north, there's a lot of like Russian influence there. So Mm -hmm. some of like the the buildings and some of the things that they have there do look more Russian versus like the rest of China. So it was definitely like a unique little, I was gonna say little town, but it's a very big city. Right. City. just kind of see like kind of a subsection of a different type of culture within uh, China. But even like the city itself had so much uniqueness to it and certain things that were like unique to that area. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's like this main market street that went through downtown that had so many little like shops and things there. Um, They were really known for this certain type of bread that they had that was just so soft and delicious that like on one of my first days when I was there, um, um, I was there with my language partner. So thank goodness I had a language partner for when I was there. Um, And she took me downtown and I got this really delicious like loaf of bread that I think had like raisins and things in it, but it was just really sweet and really delicious. And also they had a certain type of um, popsicle there that was like the line for it was always all the way down with locals and foreigners. So I knew it had to be good. Um, And it was, I don't know how to explain it, but it was like creamy and milky. Like when you bit into the popsicle, it was 
it was creamy and tasted like milk, but like in a really like nice and sweet way. Mm. And thinking about it, it's like already making me like my mouth water a little <laughs> bit because I, I haven't had it in like, well, since I was there and now I'm really like craving it and missing it, but there's no way I could find it here. Mm. Um, there was just little things like that that made that city unique and different from the other big cities that I was at. Um, and they also had really good beer. Um, Harbin beer was something that um, was really popular in that area. Mm-hmm. One of the days that we were down there, they actually had like a like a beer festival. So they had Harbin beer and like other international beers that were there and we were able to like try everything out. I was over 21 for anyone who's curious. So everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was just like another piece of the culture and another thing that um, the city was kind of known for that set it apart from some of the other cities um, that I visited when I was there. Nice. Okay. What's the drinking age in China? Just I don't curious. really think there is one, to be honest. Oh. Um, at least not that I know of. Um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was fine anyway. Right, right. There are definitely some people in our study abroad group that were not American drinking age, but were China at least drinking age, so it was fine. Okay. So you really, um, you liked where you were located as far as Harbin goes, setting yeah. and living there. So that was a good fit for you, basically. Yes, definitely. Okay. Nice, nice. And so, like, what do you, what things did you do for for fun, like outside of classes, uh, besides like studying or uh, traveling as a group? Because uh, it sounds like you all got to have a lot of a lot of chances to like explore other places as a group. But uh, I guess you individually, what types of things did you do with your time when you weren't in class? Well, it's a lot of studying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a good majority of it. Um, but luckily, the area that we were at, um, where like the university campus was, was a very walkable area. Because mm. me, when I'm traveling by myself, at least when I was there, I didn't feel super comfortable getting into a taxi um, because I'm very clearly not from the area. So I knew I was going to be overcharged regardless of how good my Chinese was, which it wasn't that good at the time anyway, but I knew I was going to be overcharged regardless. Um, So anywhere that I could go that was on foot when I was by myself was where I was going to go. But like right outside of the campus, there was so many good food options. I ate a lot of really good food. And that was one of the ways that I definitely enjoyed spending my time. Um, Like right outside of like, I guess like the border of the campus, um, there was all these like food truck type of stalls that were set out there. And half the time I wouldn't even know what I was getting, but I'm like, that looks good. How much is it? Give me some of that. (laughs) And man, the food is something that I miss all the time (laughs) about Mm. being back here. It just was all so good. And I know people always worry about like, Oh, don't, you know, eat, you know, like street food or things like that when you're, like out studying abroad or overseas, but I was fine. Mm-hmm. I didn't get sick until I came back to the U.S. and ate American food, actually. Oh, what really? Yeah, when I was over uh, there, I had absolutely no issues with anything that I ate, so mm-hmm. I ate everything, and it was great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's probably not anything like the the Chinese food we're used to here, right? Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> which nothing wrong with the Chinese food here. It's like, you know, Americanized Chinese food, which is still good. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was over there, man, just really good stuff. I ate so much good food and that always made me really happy. It was always also very affordable. Um, I, I was lucky that with the exchange rate there, like it was in my favor. So the food was very reasonably priced, very delicious. And 
very accessible. So I could either go just outside of campus and get like some delicious street food. Um, actually on the campus, they had like a little like convenience. It was like a grocery store, convenience store type of mm -hmm. thing. It pretty much looked like a supermarket. It was that big on, on side of the campus. And they had everything from like little grocery things to, you know, toiletries to um, university like branded materials, like t-shirts and things like that. Um, anything that I could think of in terms of snacks and food was just right there. Mm -hmm. and, and they had a really, I really liked their payment system there. Everything was very like um, card based. So okay. you would go into like any of the local um, university buildings and there would be like kind of ATM looking machines. You just load in your money and then you would have like this little plastic card that was um, that you had your account on. And you would just scan it to that and then all your money was on the card um, scan that way and everywhere on campus there was just all these you know wireless paying things you would just put your card up um, pay for it and then get your food it was really straightforward and really simple you know they have you know like apple pay and android pay here now but i haven't really gotten into it here but when i was over in china it was like the best thing ever um, <laughs> it made things so much easier i'm like okay i don't have to carry cash because i just have my little you know payment card um and when you're going into like the little food shops and things on campus, it was just so easy for you to like point to what you wanted. They would total it up. You'd see it on the screen, just press and hold your badge to it. It would beep, you're paid for, you're good. Mm -hmm. um, so it made things really straightforward, uh, which I really appreciated. Yeah. That's, yeah, I, I've heard about those types of things as well. I like paying mm -hmm. cash. Um, I probably should care I, more. <laughs> I mean, it's I guess it's like a personal preference, but I guess when you're in a situation where you have that technology available and it might get to a point where it's like a hindrance trying to pay with cash if everyone else, yeah. if everything's set up to, for you to use a car to use your phone anyway, then, mm -hmm. you know. When I was not on campus, I pretty much could not use cash because um, they, they wouldn't even have like change or anything. They would just have the scanners. Mm. Um, so certain places you had to go and load up your card, which I mean, I didn't mind. Um, and I would keep my cash for when I was outside of campus and was doing things there. Um, that would be more likely when I was using it. Okay. So yeah, it sounds like it'd be really convenient. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure when you're there for that amount of time and you're just doing as, as uh, if that's what people do there, then that's what yep. you're going to do. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything about China or Harbin specifically either or that surprised you? something that you hadn't expected or something you learned that you didn't think would be the case? I think one thing that I probably learned was just how, I don't want to say how similar everything is, like in terms of, it's not as different as you would think, mm. I guess. Um, when I first was thinking about going to China, I thought it was going to be something completely different. I was going to be completely in shock and everything was going to be different because, you know, you have a certain thought in your head of how you think another country is going to be like but mm -hmm. there were so many moments with like the people and just being on campus and just day-to-day -day things that seemed so familiar even though it was so different mm -hmm. um, there was one time when I was just sitting on like the steps of my uh of the dorm that I was staying in I was just like sitting there and it was close to midnight and like the sun was setting and everything and I was just watching and there was a bunch of people playing like basketball on like the court in front of me. And there's some people like playing badminton and there's people walking around and just like, you know, chatting and just like enjoying their time. And it just seemed so normal. Mm -hmm. It just seemed very like comforting. 
Um, and it was those little moments like that that really made me feel a lot more comfortable when I was there. Because um, even though you're somewhere totally across the world, you can still find comfort in things that are like universal, like mm. you know, hanging out with people, enjoying your time, getting good food and just you know, we all could bond over the fact that we were studying and, you know, homework. And mm-hmm. there's a lot more things that were similar um, than than different, I think. Okay. And um, if you if you had like a personal goal for how you wanted your Chinese to improve, um, were you able to get better at Chinese the way you wanted to? While I was there, yes. Okay. <laughs> My Chinese has gotten significantly worse since I've been back. Um, <laughs> Cause I haven't really had the opportunity to practice it, but when I was there, absolutely. Um, I would say it was a, a very significant difference from where my Chinese was before I went on the study abroad to when I came back. Mm-hmm. And that was something that even like um, my friend who was living in that area said like, yeah, your Chinese has gotten significantly better when I was there. I could have like, I could have full conversations um, in Chinese when I was there. And going from the first day, barely being able to understand what the teacher was saying to the last class, I was able to follow the entire lesson, even though it was all taught in Chinese. I was able to make a presentation in Chinese. I was able to go and get food and talk to people and do all of the basic conversation. I was able to do all of that. Um, Like, I definitely wouldn't say that I was ever proficient um, in it, but being able to get by like with day to day, I definitely say that being there made it so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, significantly um, than it would have been if I would have stayed in the U.S. and just practiced it. Because um, being able to have that fully immersive experience, if you can, if it's feasible for you, I think is really a good opportunity to have to really jumpstart um, your learning experience for that. Well, that's good. I'm glad you were able to make those strides. <clears throat> excuse me, those strides in the language. Uh, and I'm sure that must have made you feel proud to oh, definitely. <laughs> to see the progress that you've made. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And um, did you have, I mean, it seems like you had a lot of really good experiences, but can you think of something that might have been your favorite from your time when you were in China? That's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Is there, I mean, what if, what comes to mind first? I'm sure it's hard to pick like an ultimate favorite, but like what, like what immediately comes to mind is something that was really like a highlight of your time there. I guess I can break it up into different sections. So sure. when I was in Beijing, like for the first week, the Great Wall was for sure the highlight. Mm-hmm. And if you ever end up in Beijing, China, for some reason, absolutely go. Um, just the sheer scale of it was something I was definitely not expecting. The The Great Wall is huge, which you would think, yeah, it's the Great Wall. Of course, it's mm-hmm. huge. But like when you're there and you're looking at it, it really is significant. You're just looking for miles and miles and miles over the mountains and you can just see the Great Wall kind of snaking its way through it. And the steps are a lot steeper than you think is something that I definitely learned when I was there. I was mm-hmm the steps were like going up to halfway through my shin uh, as I was climbing up them. It was definitely a challenge. Wow. Um, <laughs> I got a good workout while I was there, but the view from the top, absolutely worth it. Mm-hmm. So if you ever end up in Beijing, I would say the Great Wall for me was my personal highlight. Mm. Um, when I was in Shanghai, um, we had the opportunity to go on like a boat, a boat cruise when we were there. And so we were going um, across the water and we got to take a look at the, um, 
the Shanghai, like, you know, waterfront skyline type of thing. And we went as the sun was setting, so all the lights were coming on. And that was just something that I was really in awe of when I took a look at it. Mm. Um, it's something you see in photos, like it looks like a stock photo. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> so that was what stuck out to me for sure. Yeah. Was there. And then Harbin. For me, that's honestly the hardest one. Um, if I had to choose one, we, we were there during um, one of the festivals called the Dragon Boat Festival. Mm -hmm. And... There's a lot that goes into it, but from like one big piece of it is we would go down to the river that was um, at the edge of downtown. And there were these just really extravagant boats with all these lights and things that were going across and people had their own like little boats that they had made that they were putting down the river. Um, and at the end, there was all these big fireworks and it was a huge production, but it was just nice seeing not only people that were in my class, but like all the locals and everyone, we were all crowded around like the river, just sitting there and watching. And it was really like a unifying experience. And it was so nice experiencing a festival in a different country, really seeing like how the things that people celebrate and how they celebrate. I think it was a really unique experience. I was glad I was able to have when I was there. Yeah, that sounds so cool. You got to do so many cool things when you were in China. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. Uh, you had mentioned your parents were concerned before you went. Yep. Like, how did you keep in touch with them? Did you like, were you sending them pictures or emailing them or messaging? Um, I was messaging a lot. Okay. Um, I used the chat called uh, app called WeChat. Mm. Uh, which is one that's really popular in China. Um, a lot of people use that messaging app there. Um, it's kind of also like a social media. A lot of people compare it to like Chinese Facebook kind of. Okay. Um, so I had my mom download that app um, when she was back here. Um, so we would send like WeChat messages back and forth to each other like, all the time. And she asked, so how's class? How's everything going? And because, you know, like my phone, obviously I can't just call them. And I couldn't like, you know, send them, I could send them like a Yahoo email or something, but I didn't remember my password. So really that was the best way to... <laughs> to contact them was the mm -hmm. chat. Um, so I tried to reach out to them as frequently as I could so they wouldn't worry as much about me. Um, and my, my mom and I actually still use the WeChat app because they have cute little stickers and stuff on it. So we like using it. Aw, that's so sweet. <laughs> but um, I did find that I spent a lot less time like on social media out there just because a lot of the things I normally use were blocked. So I couldn't use them anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so I was able to actually like, it forced me to get outside more, which I probably should do more of here. Yeah. But <laughs> it was, it was good. Um, I was glad I still at least had one way to remain in contact with them. So they wouldn't worry about me as much. I'm still yeah. worried, but not as much because I could at least hear my voice. <laughs> yeah, that is really good. And that, that was another thing I was going to ask you, uh, was about like, like internet restrictions, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't know if, cause I know some people find ways to get around it. I didn't know if you okay. just kind of rolled with it or tried it, like find, um, what are they called? Like VPNs or something? Yeah, VPNs. It, yeah. It's actually pretty easy to get around it. Um, mm -hmm. at least for like, if I wanted to have gotten around it, like I knew who I could ask to where I could get a VPN and I could get around it. Yeah. Um, but for me, it wasn't worth doing all that. So I'm like, okay, if it's blocked, I'm just not going to use it while I'm here. Yeah. Um, and that ended up being a better experience, in my opinion. Now, if I was there, like, permanently, I probably would use a VPN. So I could, like, go on YouTube and stuff like that. But right. <laughs> for the amount of time that I was there, um, 
I didn't think I needed one. I think I was okay just, you know, interacting with everything around me instead of staring at my phone as much. Mm. I, okay, since you, for this podcast, at least you're the first person I've been able to talk to about China, like extensively. Um, (laughs) I have talked to other people who've who've been to China, but not as, not for like as long as as you have. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but for the people that I have talked to about China, they've told me some variation of, um, because they're all black, so they're all like visibly foreign. Mm-hmm. and brown skin and have different hair or whatever they every one of them has said something about the like the staring or the touching or the taking pictures and all that i don't know if you had any sort of similar experience yes, I did. you did <laughs> <laughs> now i will say it varied depending on where you were mm. um i honestly think when i was in beijing the more i was at a tourist location the worse that it was because mm. um, when you're going to like a big tourist location, like when you're going to the Forbidden City, when you're in Beijing, usually the people who are going to the Forbidden City are people from China who maybe don't have the opportunity to typically go and see those types. So maybe they're a bit more from the countryside. They're from smaller cities. Mm. If they're Chinese and they're lo- like they're from China and they're going to the Forbidden City, they probably aren't from you know that area. So they maybe aren't as used to seeing foreigners and things. Mm. So it was definitely more prominent when we were, I was at a tourist location that, you know, obviously a lot of Chinese tourists were there. And if there are Chinese tourists going to a, a big tourist spot in China, you probably aren't used to seeing that many foreigners until you get there. Um, so there would be times where, you know, I'd be taking a photo of the Forbidden City and they would be taking photos of me, you know, and I'm like, why are you taking a photo of me? There's a Forbidden City right here. Right. <laughs> I'm like, you're really missing the mark. Just move your camera over a little bit. Um, and, you know, we are, we are like a big group. We were a group of like 12 foreigners. So we definitely stuck out when we were there. So we, you know, we were, I don't want to say like a spectacle, but we definitely were um, sticking out like sore thumbs while we were there. So it drew extra attention to us because we were a large group of foreigners. Mm-hmm. And our group um, had a variety of people in it, but it was mostly, you know, white and black. And we had a couple of... Um, um, Chinese students there with us as well. Um, but even like a couple people in our, I think for me, I didn't get as much of it, but it was because I was there with, there were two other black people who were in our group. And one was like a six foot tall, like really buff black guy. And then the other one, she had like really nice melanin skin and she had braids in and the braids really drew attention to her. And the fact that the guy was really tall, really drew attention to him. So mm-hmm. I think from that perspective, they spent more time focusing on them than they did on me. Mm. But I definitely did have people kind of come up or like try to take like sneak photos and I would take like sneak photos back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But typically like if, if I would like address them or like acknowledge like, Hey, are you taking a photo of me? They would stop. Mm. Um, but I think it was more so curiosity than anything else. Um, Cause if you live your whole life, maybe like never seeing a foreigner and then you finally see one, like that's, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're so used to like, you know, living here in the U S we see people of different, you know, various like backgrounds all the time. Um, but when you live in like a more, you know, generally homogenous country, and then you see these people coming in that look nothing like you, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's natural to be like, you know, like what, what's going on? Who is that? And to end up staring, even though you don't fully realize that you're full on staring. Mm. Um, but 
I think it was more like curiosity than anything um, malicious from what I, from what my experience was at least. Yeah. Okay. And any sort of um, random celebrity associations, like you look like <laughs> so-and-so or, oh, are you whatever? Do you know? I mean, did you get any of that? <laughs> we didn't get any of that, but okay. we did have one dude who would just like give us a thumbs up and say Obama, like when we were there. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, dude. Like, <laughs> all right, because that's another one that I've heard. Um, uh-huh. That uh, I've actually experienced that. I forgot. I like, I like erased it from my mind. But just random, <laughs> like, oh, you remind me of like I had twists when I went to. Japan mm-hmm. and someone was like oh it's like I think someone said something about like Bob Marley or something and you're like and, oh okay <laughs> and my first thing to say was like well actually he has dreadlocks these are twists they're very different like but it's like this Japan he's not gonna care yeah. or know about like mm-hmm. all the intricacies of black hair so I was just like mm-hmm <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they kept it moving yep. <laughs> Oh, it's definitely I don't think very I, easy for like them to just like okay like well you know you're black or you have dark skin so like so you're from Africa right mm-hmm. and I mean for me like my dad is Nigerian so like that actually is more true for me than it was for the other two people in our group were black American and they just mm-hmm. automatically thought like oh yeah they're from Africa because they're dark skin yeah and that one was you know, then they would look at, you know, like the white people in our group and be like, oh, okay, well, they're from America. Mm. Uh, they didn't like fully put I'm like, and you know, it, it's just one of those things that depending on the country that you go to or the area that you're in, you're just going to have to deal with. But for me, I'm like, well, yeah, I am African, so it's okay. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they, they definitely don't think immediately that you're from America if you have a darker complexion, mm. uh, at least from what my experience was. I don't yeah. think that they treated me any differently because of it. Um, you know, a foreigner is still a foreigner um, from how like everyone in our group was treated, but that was definitely like a disconnect from what I saw there. Yeah. And that's so confusing because people know Obama. Obama know, right? is, or at the time was the American president. So mm-hmm. obviously there are black people in America, black Americans, mm-hmm. but then, you know, and maybe it's like a like an immigration thing too. Like maybe there are more people yeah. from Africa moving there actually is quite a big population of people from Africa that are in different sections of China. So mm-hmm. I think in terms of the black people they see in China, probably more of them are actually from Africa than mm-hmm. from America. Yeah. So that's part of it too. But okay. I just mm-hmm. thought I'd ask because like you, like I said, uh, so far you're the person uh, I've spoken to who's been to China for mm-hmm. the longest amount of time. So I was like, Everybody keeps talking about <laughs> being touched or stared at. Like, are Chinese people really wilding out like this? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I think the tourist destination is definitely a bigger deal. Like, but day to day, like when I was, when I was like in Harbin, like, like I'd have some people kind of look at me like when I would go outside of campus, like, oh, who's that person there? But it it wasn't nearly as significant as what it was in Beijing. And then even in Shanghai, because that city has so many foreigners and it's a bit more, you know, quote unquote, Western 
um, or at least there's a lot more like international people there. Um, it like wasn't at all when I was in Shanghai. Okay. So it also depends on where you go in China and then where specifically you go mm -hmm. in those cities that you're at. Um, that determines kind of what your reaction is going to be in the area. Yeah. And I guess with, whether you're with a group or not too, that changes yeah, things. Yeah, I suck out like sore thumbs for sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that with me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was still stuck on the whole thumbs up Obama thing. That's, uh -huh. That was hilarious. <laughs> um, <clears throat> was there any um, downside to your time when you were in China? Anything that kind of, not say anything that had to like ruin your trip or leave a bad taste in your mouth, but something that just like wasn't so great while you were there. Hmm. I think the only thing, because honestly, I had a fantastic experience. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing that made things a little more difficult was obviously like the language barrier. Yeah. Um, so there was a couple of instances like where I was trying to um, like take out money um, cause I had a certain set of amount of money, like set aside that I was going to use that I brought. But then when I was there, I'm like, okay, I want to take out a little bit more. So that way I could, um, you know, I want to buy like trinkets or souvenirs or things like that. And just that whole process, if I didn't have, um, my language partner with me, there was no way I would have been able to maneuver it. Mm. Uh, it, it just would have been for me impossible. And that's probably because my level of Chinese was quite low when I was there. Um, but like if you don't come prepared before you go, like I would definitely recommend just like when you're at the airport, like just go and convert over as much money as you can. Because once you actually get, and maybe it's also just because of the city that I was in. Like if I went to Shanghai, it'd probably be a lot easier um, to be able to maneuver that. But when I was in Harbin, if I didn't have like that stuff set aside, it, it just would have been impossible yeah. for me at my skill level. Yeah. Just making sure that you're really prepared with everything that you need and you have accessible to you and easily accessible, like on your person or in your belongings um, beforehand, because there are going to be some things that you, know, you may not think about like, okay, well, yeah, just go to the ATM and get out a little bit more money. Um, it was, it's a lot more difficult when you're overseas. Mm. Um, so for me, I probably said that was like the only thing, but that was probably just my poor planning. I should have just taken out more money to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't have to think about it. Yeah. Um, but overall, like, I think that any like negative things were probably just my fault for not being better prepared. Mm. Uh, but the experience itself, the people, the atmosphere, the program was all positive for me. Yeah. And that's part of, of uh, that's a learning experience too. Like you can't know Definitely. everything before you go, right? There's just certain mm -hmm. things you just don't know or just wouldn't think about until you're in that situation. So, um, but I mean, it, it worked out. Mm -hmm. um, I forgot to ask about the language partner thing. Was that, were you assigned someone to be your language partner? Yeah, so everyone in our group was assigned a language partner. Um, okay. The girl I had, she was so sweet and patient, bless her heart. <laughs> Because my language skill was very, very low when I started out. Um, but one thing that I really appreciated from her is she she spoke like very, she knew more English than she would tell me. Mm. Um, so there were certain things she was able to kind of guide me through and help teach me with. But most of the time she would just like speak really slowly so I could fully understand like what she was saying and give me time to respond and really help me through it. 
Um, so she definitely helped kind of make that experience, I would say like a bit more like tailored to what my needs were. Um, and we would spend some time like just going through like my homework and going over a little like, she would teach me a lot of um, like cultural things which I really appreciated like oh you know like a lot of people here will do this or like hear some of like our slang that we use and things that were a lot more applicable to like people my age um which was good but she would also just like take me on we would do a lot of walks which were nice because one thing that I picked up when I was over in China that I really should keep doing is after we would eat we'd like go and take like a little walk um, just to kind of like help digest and kind of like not feel so lethargic after our meal. Mm -hmm. um, so we would like go and get lunch and then myself and my language partner, we would like go and take a walk and we'd be like walking around campus and just like chatting and just having like casual conversation. And th that was the time when I feel like my language got a lot better because um, it was it was a lot more casual. There was less pressure, um, mm -hmm. but she was still able to be really patient with me and, and talk me through and if I didn't know how to say something, I'd say, you know, how do you say this? And she would tell me and I'd go ahead and put it in the sentence. And it it definitely helped make things a little bit easier having a language partner there who was so patient and mm -hmm. so kind and was able to really help me get those different aspects of the language that I was missing and fill in the gaps for me. That's so nice. Yeah. Are you still in touch with her by chance? Um, I was for quite a bit after the program, but it's been so long now that I haven't really been in contact with her, but she is still available on WeChat if I ever need to reach out to her for anything. Okay. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> uh, I mean, you mentioned a little bit uh, just now about the whole like ATM thing or like mm -hmm. um, exchanging currency in advance type of thing. Do you, do you have any other tips financial wise in terms of even scholarships or anything having to do with um, these types of experiences? Any financial tips for people looking to make these experiences as stress-free as possible? Uh, definitely use the resources you have available to you. Mm -hmm. um, so probably one of the biggest things that I struggled with initially with once I had made the decision that I wanted to study abroad was funding it. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's an expensive program. It's expensive to go across the country and um, the programs, you know, all inclusive. So like with the dorming and the program itself, and um, I had to like book the travel and things like that. So it, it was a lot going into it, but I reached out, um, you know, we have like a study abroad center at Michigan State University. So I was able to reach out to them and say, okay, well, what things do you recommend? Um, they would have different seminars going on to talk about study abroads and different ways to fundraise. Um, I was lucky enough that I was able to get the Gilman scholarship when I studied abroad um, and it worked out really well for me because the amount of money that they give you is very dependent on the type of program that you're doing. Um, so if you're going to a place that isn't gone to as frequently, um, they have a bit more funds available to, to award to people. And then also depending on the length of time that you're there. So since I went somewhere that not as many people went to and I was there for uh, longer than a month, I was able to get a lot more assistance for somebody who would be going for maybe like a week to France because, you know, everyone wants to go to Europe versus not as many people want to go to China. Yeah. Um, so knowing based on the type of study abroad that you're doing um, can kind of determine the type of resources and funds that you might be able to get, but also like Google, like I just looked online and said, okay, like scholarships for studying to China or just study abroad scholarships, um, scholarships for minorities, scholarships for, you know, university students, scholarships for women. There's so many different scholarships out there 
Um, and you just got to have like one really solid essay and just change a couple things and send them out. <laughs> um, but it, it, it made things so much easier because without specifically the Gilman scholarship, and I think I got a couple other smaller ones, I would not have been able to go um, mm. if I didn't have that funding. Um, so definitely taking the time to research and, hey, it never hurts to just send out the application and just see what happens. Because the yeah. more that you send out, even every little, some people won't apply for things that are only like $1,000 or like 500 but it really does build up. So send out as many essays as you can and just try to get as much as you can. Because when you don't have to focus so much on the financial burden of the trip, you can actually enjoy the trip a lot more. Mm -hmm. I agree with all of that. <laughs> Um, and then any any advice just in general, like based on your own experiences in China specifically, um, or I guess other travel experiences as well, any advice for anyone looking to study abroad or simply travel more that you'd like to share? Just do it. <laughs> I think it's always the best thing to say. Um, but do it smart. Um, if you know you're going to be traveling somewhere where language is going to be um, where it's different than your own, take some time to brush up on some common phrases. Um, don't don't always assume that they're going to be able to cater to you there. So you want to make sure that you're prepared. Um, if anyone's thinking about going to China specifically, um, I would definitely brush up on a little bit of Chinese, even if it's just like a little bit of Duolingo or something, or if you have like a point of contact there. Um, if you aren't as familiar with the country, maybe go somewhere um, where a lot more international students go, um, just so they're at least a bit more familiar with seeing foreigners there. They might have a bit more better understanding of English if that's your native language and you need more help. Going with a group, I think for me was a really big thing. Um, it helped create the structure and the resources that I needed uh, when I was there. And also kind of gave me people I could bounce ideas off of and because we're all going through the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, so if it's possible, like going with like a group of friends or going with a group through school or something like that, I would definitely recommend it, especially if it's your first time traveling abroad. Um, it'll just make the process easier. That's good. That's really good. And uh, you you haven't been able to go back since you went to spent that summer in China, right? No, I haven't. I really okay. want to, though. You like, do? Okay. Like, so badly. <laughs> just have to find the right time and just got to get my visa updated and make sure my passport and everything's all good. Mm. But, like, I, I for sure would go back like, in a heartbeat. Someone's like, hey, tomorrow, do you want to go to China? I'm like, hey, well, first of all, how am I going to afford it? But secondly, absolutely. Let's <laughs> Oh man! Even so, wait. So even for like just traveling, like visiting, you have to get a visa. So there's different kinds. Um, so it depends on how long you're there, which determines like what type of thing that you have to get. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Because I know some places, and I guess I'm I'm thinking about the American passport because that's the only one I have. But some mm -hmm. places you can go, and it's like as long as you're not there longer than like three months, you don't mm -hmm. have to. There's no like paperwork or anything you have to do. So, but yeah. I don't know how it goes with China because I've never been. So, <laughs> um, it's been a while, but definitely yeah. another good thing to do your research on before you travel, seeing what type of clearance you might need to go there and depending yeah. on where you're going to be. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so, you obviously would like to go back to China. Yep. Is there anywhere else that you'd like to go? Uh, anywhere that I can go, really. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the tentative plan is that hopefully my siblings and I want to go to Japan, like when the Olympics are going on. 
Mm. And so we can hopefully go there at least for a bit and kind of help ex experience that. My sister's already been to Japan and she knows like a little bit of Japanese. So I think that will kind of help us when we're over there. Um, and then as a family, I mentioned before that my dad's from Nigeria. Mm -hmm. So our plan within the next five years is to hopefully be able to go back there and spend a bit more time now that I'm adult and can fully like process and understand and mm -hmm. remember the, and document the experiences, especially. Um, so I've been trying to practice Igbo um, in the meantime, but it's, it's a hard language to practice because there's not as many resources for it. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been working on that. So hopefully when I go, I'll at least be conversational is my plan. So mm -hmm. my fingers are crossed for that one. Um, and then maybe doing a little bit more like weekend trips. I think I should get a bit more into that because it's, yeah. it's just nice to get a bit more out of your comfort zone. I've never regretted traveling somewhere for a bit, you know? So mm -hmm. why not just do it? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I hope those travel plans work out. Uh, I know it takes like time and obviously money to like plan trips and stuff, but I hope, <laughs> I hope you're able to go and do all the, go to all the places you want to go and do the things you want to do. Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> Appreciate sure. that. <laughs> Was there um, anything else that you, uh, that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to share before we, um, before we wrap this thing up? I don't think so. I was actually able to remember a lot more than I thought for it being a couple of years ago, but yeah. I really appreciate it. And I guess if anyone's thinking about traveling to China, like just do it. It's, mm -hmm. it's such, the country is so full of so many different cultures and rich history that you'd be doing yourself a disservice to not think about putting China on your list of places to travel to. Mm. Good, good. And uh, last but not least, is there any way that, um, people can reach you or keep up with you online if you would like them to do so? Sure. Um, I pretty much just use Instagram at this point. So it's just my name, Nena Maduko, N-E-N-N-A-M-A-D-U-K-O. So I, I mostly post like fitness stuff nowadays, um, but it, when I do more travel, it'll definitely be on there. <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. Um, well, thank you again for being a guest um, on this podcast. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you telling me about your time in China because I know I never got to ask you about that. So I'm glad I got to learn more about that from you. Um, and I hope you had a good time. I enjoyed talking to you. So I hope you enjoyed. Of the course. As well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, yeah. Thank you so much, Nana. And uh, I'll let you enjoy the rest of your your Saturday, the rest of your weekend. I don't know if you're lazing around in your PJs yep, or what. That's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I hope you have a good time doing that. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you get to relax as well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So, and I'll be in touch. This doesn't come out for uh, a little while, so I'll keep you posted on all that. And of course, we'll still be, you know, uh, keeping up with you on Instagram and all that stuff. So. <laughs> Yeah, you'll definitely still be hearing from me. No worries there. Awesome. Uh, yeah, until then, uh, I guess I'll talk to you later. Okay, Nana? All right. Thank you so much. Have a good All rest right. of the day. Thanks, you too. Bye. <laughs>
Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Acast, or Stitcher. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for the next episode in two weeks, we're still going to be in Asia. Uh, the next couple episodes actually will be focused on Asian countries. Um, so for the next episode, uh, the guest is going to be someone like Nana, who was at MSU around the same time as me, but... I didn't really get to know them until after that time was over. Um, this person is an MBA student, and as part of his current MBA program, he got to do a business consulting project in Thailand earlier this year. So uh, you get to hear all about his time in Thailand in two weeks. But until then, thank you so much for listening, and talk to you next time. Oh, the sun, the sun, the sun, the sun.